Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. Can you give an example of a current product um, and, and how an uh, iteration or an improvement on that design um, or functionality can open the door for a new patent? So in other words, like you were just talking about, you know, the, the dual headed can opener, what, you know, whatever, uh, you know, water bottle with a, a push button, um, you know, opener or something like that. Can you describe, uh, you know, kind of how people can, uh, I don't know if, if you can give an exact example, but you know, how somebody can take a current idea, um, iterate on it and then make, uh, you know, and then create a new patent from that iteration. Yeah. I'm usually terrible with these examples. Like somehow <laughs> just coming up with them on the fly, it doesn't work so well. Um, I think maybe I should clarify first what a utility and design patent is though. Uh, yeah. Well, actually that was one of my, uh, yeah, that actually, that was my uh, question before this and I changed okay. it. <laughs> we'll change it back. All right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, so, so just to clarify that. So, um, yep. so a utility patent is what most people think of when they think of a patent. It's like you think of coming up with a new invention, a new product. It's like, Hey, I, I found the better way to keep my dish soap from, um, from draining off the side of the counter or what it's a solution to a problem and it's a structural solution. You have a product that has a different configuration and that um, different configuration allows it to, to, to solve a problem that hasn't been solved before. That's typically what we're thinking of when we think of someone patenting an invention and that's what a utility patent is for. It's for a product that has a structural difference for a functional purpose. And, um, so uh, something to know about utility patents is that they're rather complex. They involve a lot of words, a lot of description, because what we're really seeking to do with a utility patent is describe or define the territory of what the invention is. It's a shovel that has um, a top edge and along the top edge is a notch or something like that. It's, it's, it's a, a very, um, linguistic definition of what an invention is. And generally, utility patents are, are considered to be the strong type of patent because they protect the concept, okay? Um, now, design patents are just about the way a product looks, just about the ornamental appearance of it. So it's, got a, it's a product with a unique shape. Think of like a telephone that's shaped like a duck, right? Nothing about the way it functions, it's just that you happen to have made a telephone in the shape of a duck, and so that is what the design patent is all about. It's just about the appearance of the product. Um, uh, design patents are relatively inexpensive because it's just about presenting the appearance. It's about drawings, very carefully uh, crafted drawings that show the product and show the design. So, um, and what I'm leading to with this, and this difference is kind of, um, uh, you know, an important reason why on Amazon, people tend to go for design patents. And, and that is even though with utility patents, um, it was considered, always considered to be more valuable because it's for a concept. And a design patent on the other hand, hey, you change the appearance, it's not infringing anymore. But how do people knock things off on Amazon? They just copy it. They don't get that imaginative with how they, they, um, they come into your territory, they just, have um, they, they find a, a similar product on Alibaba and they just start selling it. So if the product looks similar, it will infringe the design patent. But more importantly, let's think about Amazon and how Amazon works. 
You know, you have people that are handling things at Amazon and their tens of thousands of workers, which are not using a very high level of discernment on how they make these judgments. So if you do an IP complaint on Amazon and you say, let's say situation one is, here's my utility patent. If you read the claims of my utility patent, they seem to be, this competitor's listing seems to be fitting the definition of, of my um, product as defined in my utility patent. So they're infringing my utility patent, please shut them down. So situation B, here's my design patent. Look at the pictures. Doesn't it look like my product? <laughs> so which one do you think that they're going to respond to? You know, they respond to, to the design patent because they just have to look at pictures. And I think that up, you, down. I think that you brought up a really good point here though, in that, you know, people often will say, well, I want to have a patent so that no one else can knock off my product or no one else can steal my idea. Right. But as you mentioned, Rich, a patent is only as good as whether you're willing to defend it and look after people who are, you know, going against your patent, right? Like doing something that infringes upon your patent or your claims. So, you know, I think there's a fine line in deciding, um, you know, what do you, I guess I'm interested in your opinion on that of, yeah, yeah. you know, whether you are, you know, I've, I of course think it's a great idea to protect your ideas and uh, protect your intellectual property. Because in my mind, from a business standpoint, that is really going to help you sell your company one day for far more than you'd be able to have. You have no intellectual property, nothing that people can't just knock off and create their own copy of your brand essentially. But what do you feel about the cost of defending uh, your, your intellectual property? Uh, well, let me give it to you outside of the Amazon world first. So outside of the Amazon world, what I've always felt and, uh, and, and I, I'm not a litigator, I've always been involved in prosecution and helping people get patents. Um, but so my opinion on it always was the reason you get a patent is not so that you can go and spend a million dollars to defend it in court to enforce it. The reason you get a patent is because it keeps 80% of your competitors away and it gets um, legitimate companies to play nice. They respect the fact that you have the patent. If, um, like generally you won't have the bigger companies knocking you off. It'll always be the smaller uh, pirates, the kind of the same black hat guys as uh, act in the Amazon world. So there'll always be some people who will violate your rights, but it will keep 80% of the people away. It'll give you the leverage to make those deals with the bigger players, like the licensing deals or whatever other type of, of affiliate relationships you, you need to make. Um, that's the reason you get the patent. Um, and, uh, and that's why I find people that have had the most success. That being said, if you have, um, if you have people knocking you off on a big scale and there's millions of dollars worth of damages, then, then it's, it's good that you have the patent because then it's worth suing and, and because you're going to collect that much more. Um, but I'd say by and large for most people, it's just, it's deterrent value. Um, it's value as a, a deterrent that, that is the biggest justification for doing it. So that's outside of the Amazon world. But now this is where things have really changed with Amazon in that, so the old days were like, okay, if someone's infringing your patent, you need to spend a lot of money to, to get um, an infringement action going. These days, 
you send an email to Amazon and you get them shut down. If, you're, if your competitor is on Amazon, you do an IP complaint, you don't even need to get your lawyer involved. You just um, send them, here's the patent number, here's the listing, and they'll shut them down. And Amazon really seems to be deferring to IP owners. I mean, they seem to be shutting people down unfairly very often. Yes, there's been some abuse yes. of that lately. Lots we, and lots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people, I, this, this one guy in, in one category, he's dominating. He's just shutting everybody in his category down. And, yeah. and it's like Amazon's not catching on that it's the same email address that's making all of these claims and the same patent number and everything. Yep. And, well, here's the thing is Amazon has been deferring to IP owners. You're an, you're an IP owner. They're basically giving you the benefit of the doubt. And uh, so they are in many cases unfairly shutting people down and say the design, here's my design patent. And if it was in a court of law, they, it wouldn't be considered infringement, but Amazon is still shutting them down. I'm dealing with that all the time. But, but I think the takeaway is it pays to be the IP owner. It pays to be the guy with the Amazon. It pays to be the guy with the design patent because they, they seem to be taking your side if you do. So yeah. a good reason to get patents these days is to be the one who has the patent rather than the one who's looking down the barrel at someone else's patent. Yeah, absolutely. True. So Rich, real quick, can you give me, a, going back to my, my previous question, can you give me an example of um, a product um, you know, an iteration on a product that would be patentable and one that would not be, um, if you can do yeah. that. I, have, okay, so, I hate to yeah, put you on the spot. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So, so now, that, now that we've clarified what, um, um, what the difference between utility and design patents. So if you're iterating on a product and you give it a, a, a different appearance, you, um, um, you change it significantly, um, then, then it's a good candidate for a design patent. How much? It's really hard to say how much. It kind of depends on, on what the, um, uh, on the industry that you're in. Like in certain circumstances, uh, in certain industries, like products are differentiated on, on rather minor details. But in other industries or in other types of products where there, haven't been, there hasn't been much variation, where maybe you just making yours cylindrical where every other one has been a, a cube, um, is enough of a design difference to be worthy of a design patent. When it comes to utility, um, when it comes to utility patent, the, the, the type of difference, it needs to be a non-obvious difference. Um, and it's debatable what that means, but that's the standard at the patent office, is whether it's the type of thing that, one way of looking at it is, does it fall within the range of what people know to do? So if it's... Um, I don't know um, if it's a lock, like a combination lock. And so um, you have, um, you know, you have um, two dials instead of one dial. It's like, well, I mean, maybe not in combination locks, but in other types of locks and safe locks, there are others that have two dials. So would it be obvious to bring that from safes over into combination locks? Probably. So it's probably not enough of a difference. Um, you know, but in general, that's the type of difference that you're looking for is something that's just a little, that's outside the ordinary. It's a little unexpected. And that's what unobvious is. Um, and, and if you're talking about a utility patent, it should be a difference that's for a functional purpose. It makes it work better. It's like you add this little 
catch on the bottom of your soap dish and now all of a sudden the soap doesn't slide off. Or um, you, um, you, know, you add some other little kind of um, gadget to something which, which allows it to um, solve a problem that, um, you know, that your competitors' products don't solve. And that's probably a good candidate for utility patent. So, but um, but here, here's, a, here's a, a little lesson to that too, is um, a lot of times people get carried away. And we're talking about, we talk a bit about like whether you should do a patent or not, whether it's worthwhile doing a patent. Um, this is an important thing, I think, is that a lot of times people are looking at, hey, can I get a patent? Is mine different enough to get a patent? I'd say you want to look beyond that and say, is the thing that makes it different does that matter to the market? Does the market care about that little catch that you're adding that keeps the soap from sliding off? Do your competitors care about that? Are they gonna to wanna to copy that feature in order to be, stay competitive with you? Because if they're not gonna to wanna to copy that thing that is the thing that can help you get the patent, then don't bother with the patent. Only patent it when there's an overlap between the thing that's patentable and the thing that matters to the market. All right. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so uh, to me, it sounds like, um, you know, if you're changing, um, it, it, you don't necessarily need to be changing core functionality, but you need to be making an improvement. Um, right? Uh, yeah, you need to be making an improvement and it yeah. needs to be distinct. You know, the, the patent office doesn't look too carefully about whether it is better than before, but that there should be a functional reason to it as opposed to you just um, you make it a different proportion or something which it's hard to really justify that there's any functional purpose to, and then it probably would fall within the range of, within the realm of obviousness, which kind of means that it's kind of within the range of, of how people might design this, even if they haven't thought to do it exactly like that before. Okay. Interesting. So real quick clarification on uh, design patents. So um, you know, once again, let's go back to your example of like, you know, say you had, uh, you know, somebody's got a patent on a can opener and you make a can opener that's very similar, um, but you add rubber grips to it and you do a design patent. Um, would that be a worthy design patent? And can the original owner of that utility patent come after you? How, how does that, you know, how do you, how do you, how do those two play together? In other okay. Words? Yeah. A couple of very interesting things you hit upon there. Um, the first one is let's dispel the notion that if you get your own patent, that that means you're not infringing someone else's because it's, it doesn't, it's not true. It doesn't mean that, but that's a very common misconception is that like, um, and, and it makes sense, right? It's like, Hey, if I'm different enough to get a patent, that must mean I'm different enough to not infringe. It just doesn't work that way. And they, the way it works with patents is it's more like building blocks where you have a, um, an invention, a patented invention that has a, B and C, and then you add D onto it. Um, you might be able to get a patent because D is a significant improvement, but in order to manufacture A, B, C, and D, you have to make A, B, and C. So you're infringing that other person's patent. So, um, so there's that. Um, let's just have that concept clear that you getting a patent doesn't mean you're not infringing someone else. But now let's talk about adding the rubber grips onto it. Um, with design patent, um, the way the design is presented is, is as black and white line drawings. So the materials are not indicated. So the fact that it's say rubber grips wouldn't distinguish it, but if those rubber grips actually made it look different, then it could be a different design. So it's not that it's the grips are rubber, but maybe that it's a, 
you've got an enlarged portion on each end of it, uh, and that's where the grips are. So now it's a, it, it provides a different overall look to it. Then it could be a design pad. Does that make sense? I think so. <laughs> it's uh, funny though. It's like anything you say, like five issues come up for me. And like, no, 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 absolutely. And, 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 you know, that's why you spent so many years in law school, right? right, right. <laughs> because there's so many intricacies and, uh, you know, this stuff, uh, you know, not only that, but, you know, you could go to one examiner at, at the patent uh, office and they say, no, this doesn't work. And they go to another one and they say, yeah, it works. Uh, you know, being an ex federal government employee, I know exactly how that all plays out. Right. Um, exactly. <laughs> so and let's shift. Really, to work the system. Yeah, absolutely. Work the system to your advantage. Absolutely. Let's uh, shift really quickly into, um, uh, you know, more of the, the trademark world. Cause that's also pretty important for uh, Amazon sellers. Um, let's start out with like, do you have any, any suggestions or we kind of, I remember we kind of had this chat when we were at SellerCon. Um, in regards to uh, brand names, you know, any, any tips on uh, picking a great brand name, especially when it comes to uh, Amazon? Yes. So um, for the sake of trademarks, you want to have a name that's distinctive. So, and with trademarks, the way that a, that a, uh, a name or a mark is distinctive is the less descriptive it is of the product itself. So, you know, there's a, there's a high ten, temptation to call your product red licorice, but that just describes what it is. It's red licorice. It's color. It's licorice. It's red color. Or to name your store on Amazon, um, you know, um, pet food store, right? But that, again, is descriptive, and that's not trademarkable. It's not protectable when you have a descriptive name. So there's a real temptation to want to do that. Um, but the, the most protectable names are the ones where you have a word that's not associated with the particular product typically. So like Apple computers. Before Apple computer existed, apples had nothing to do with computers. And that, that was the grounds for very strong trademark. Um, similar as words like Kodak or Xerox, a made up term, very strong as trademark. So, um, and, and then a, a little bit less protected, less protectable is something that's um, distinctive. Something, I'm sorry, not distinctive, suggestive, which is a word like cornucopia, like cornucopia pet food store, right? So cornucopia, involve, it, it implies plentiful. Um, so it is somewhat associated with pet food, but it's not directly describing it. So that's a good trademark right there. And then notice what I did also is I, I put together cornucopia with pet food store because you say, what's the best way to name a store? And it depends on what your aim is. If it's trademarks, you do what I just said, which is come up with a distinctive um, mark. But if it's for the sake of search, you do want it to be descriptive, right? Because you want people searching for pet food to find your store. So that's the compromise there is to, is to do both, is to have something like Cornucopia Pet Food Store. Now you have descriptive terms, which are gonna help you show up in search, but you have something distinctive, which will then allow you to get it trademarked and allow you to get into brand registry. So my best tip on Amazon then is to, is to take something distinctive um, and combine it with um, some terms which are going to help you to get that search traffic. 
That's great advice. Thank you. Um, can you describe really quickly? Cause I know there's a lot of confusion with this and uh, I know that um, on Amazon, people never know what to do. Um, you know, previously uh, for Amazon, they would only accept word marks. Now they're doing design marks as well. Can you explain the difference between the two and maybe some instances where one would work better than the other? Well, uh, a word mark is for the term itself. Let's say like cornucopia pet, uh, pet food store. Uh, whereas a design mark is, let's say, um, cornucopia pet food store with some type of stylized letters, uh, perhaps some type of logo. So design marks are typically more akin to a logo where a word mark is just for the term. And um, a word mark is really what Amazon is looking for, for brand registry. Um, I think on, under certain circumstances, they'll accept the design mark. Um, but the best bet is to file the word mark. Just get protected for the term, regardless of what style or what fonts people are using for it. And uh, do a separate registration for a design mark. If you do have a, um, a, a very distinctive looking logo that you think people might copy as far as the style of it without necessarily using the same term or the same words, and then possibly you can do that as a secondary. But, but definitely for the sake of Amazon, do a word mark registration. Yeah, and for, correct me if I'm wrong here, Rich, but for an example, uh, for people to visualize this, um, you know, a word mark would be something like the word McDonald's, and then a design mark would be the big M that is very distinctive. People know it and, and relate McDonald's to that, uh, that, that logo. Exactly. Uh, so that would, wouldn't that be a good example of the two? Yep, exactly. Okay. And, and the design mark then would be focusing on, on those stylistic um, elements of the M and the golden arches and all of that. Right, right. Fantastic. So, uh, Rich, I know that like when I filed my first uh, trademark, it took like about, I can't remember, about six to eight months. Now it seems like, you know, it's taking up to a year, uh, sometimes even longer. It seems like the process has really uh, slowed down. Do you have any uh, tips? I know besides, you know, usually lawyers can get it done more quickly than things like legal zoom and, and, and you know some of those services any other tips or um any other uh you know tricks tips or or you know ways to get that mark through uh more quickly yeah well i mean let's just not on let, let's not um go um too quickly past this what you're saying though in terms of of if you make a mistake if you're using legal zoom or some service like that uh, then you might find yourself losing a year only to have to start over again. So, um, you know, if the brand is worthwhile, if you have some traction with it and there's some value at stake, it probably pays to have someone do it that knows what they're doing. Um, it's, it's really not that much more. Um, now, as far as speeding up the process, it is possible to, to expedite a trademark application. I believe, um, um, I don't directly do the trademark filings, my colleague does. Um, so, um, but I believe you can expedite it, but only if you're being infringed for the, the trademark on the patent side of things, um, you can, um, expedite patent applications, um, with the, with the payment of additional fees. Okay. Interesting. Uh, but, and, but the main thing though, I always caution people is, are you ready for it to be expedited? Because when it comes to the patent, a lot of times it's rather expensive to file. And um, let's say a year goes by and then we get initial rejection and then it's worth fighting, but it's going to involve spending a bit more money. Um, so if you expedite it 
and then it comes back around in a, in a few, just a few months with a rejection and now you have to spend more money, you might not be ready for that. So sometimes it's a matter of whether you're, um, you're ready to do that, uh, or whether it pays to expedite it because you, you might just be happy by getting your application filed and letting the, the patent process just go along naturally as your business grows as opposed to rushing it all and being forced into those decisions and additional expenditures so quickly. Awesome. That's, that's good advice. All right, Rich. Well, I think we, we, we've grilled you with everything that we've thought of. If anybody um, uh, who's with us here live has any follow-up questions uh, for Rich, please uh, go ahead and uh, drop them in the uh, chat, which it looks like we do have a couple here. Um, Justin's we have a question about, yeah, about Justin is asking whether or not a UK trademark will work for a US brand registry. And I believe that they just removed that uh, ability now where. Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's about right. Um, it, it has in the past, which is kind of like a strange loophole because trademarks are territorial. Uh, a UK trademark shouldn't work in the US, but for a while it has. Um, and um, and I can tell you, if you look up the requirements for brand registry, um, it will say, well, where do you want it? Um, and then it will tell you what you need. So like if you said for U.S., it will say um, you need a U.S. registered trademark. If you looked up U.K., it will say a U.K. trademark or a European Union trademark. Um, so it, it really does. Uh, it has to match in terms of the territory. And I'm going to predict that the people that got in with the UK trademark will be kicked out. Just like they've slowly kicked out people that were in brand registry before they required a registered trademark. So, uh, yeah. Yep, that, that's, uh, yeah, they're, they're, Amazon's making a lot of changes here. And I think, uh, you know, some of these recent lawsuits are really pushing them uh, to take more action on a lot of these legal issues because they're starting to see, um, you know, more and more uh, issues pop up when it comes to, um, you know, litigation. So <laughs> be ready for a lot of changes, fast and furious, uh, I think coming up here. So Rich, any uh, last, uh, you know, final advice, tips, uh, anything you want to pass uh, on to the audience that we maybe didn't cover here? Um, I, I guess I just want to underscore a couple of things that I said before. One is that if, you, if you're thinking you might ever want to protect it, if you're thinking you might ever want to get a patent, make that determination early so that you don't lose the right and then don't lose back. If you don't do it, then just go full forward and don't look back and just, if you decided not to protect it, um, don't hesitate with your marketing, just go out there and hit it hard. Um, and then if you have a product with a distinctive look, do file design patent applications. Because like I said, Amazon has been deferring to design patents and I can't tell you the problems I've had when someone else when a competitor has a design patent on something, we would have said like, you can't get a design patent on that. But now we're trying to convince Amazon that the patent office shouldn't have granted this design patent. And it's just, it's an argument that goes nowhere. So the bottom line is it pays to be the person with the design patent. That's, that's super interesting. Uh, that's, that seems like that's, that might shift the, the paradigm on, on what people are going to go for, uh, you know, patent wise. That's, that's yep. really interesting, at least uh, in, in today's uh, atmosphere on, on Amazon. That's interesting. All right, Rich, uh, let people know how they can find you. Um, anything else you want to mention, you know, websites, contact info, anything you want to mention at all, please go ahead and do that. Okay. Yeah. And I, I would say if you want to learn more about the, the patent process, um, the American Bar Association asked me to write a book explaining to everyday people how patents work. 
And that's the ABA Consumer Guide to Obtaining a Patent. And you can find that on Amazon if you just search my name or ABA Consumer Guide to Obtaining a Patent. It's like 15 bucks or so. And, and uh, if you buy a copy, I appreciate it. I, mean, I like, those are the only numbers I watch on Amazon is watching a, a few book sales here and there. I make, a, a, I think, $1.50 each book, but it's just fun to see someone buying my book. So, so um, by all means, if, uh, if it interests you, um, please buy that. And um, if you want to, um, ex if you need help with something related to patents and trademarks, you can go to my website, um, goldsteinpatentlaw.com. And um, there's a lot of great information there. There's a, a series of six videos that explain the patent process very well and have been watched tens of thousands of times. Um, and um, you could also contact my office and talk with my staff to see if it's a match for us to work together on whatever it is you have going on. Um, and again, that's goldsteinpatentlaw.com. And I think that's about it. But I really appreciate you having me here. And I appreciate the opportunity to help Amazon sellers understand this stuff better because I know it's confusing as can be. Yeah, Rich. No, I learned a lot. I really appreciate it. Um, it's always fun to have, you know, I'm, I'm more of like the marketing, uh, you know, marketing is probably one of my strongest suits, of course, with the SEO, you know, over here. <laughs> that's, yeah, right. what, that's where I, you know, that's where I, where I get my expertise from, but it's always great to have, um, you know, all, all, all the, 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 the support on these subjects were, you know, uh, we, we had, uh, um, you know, um, uh, insurance last week and things like it's kind of these things that you know a lot of people aren't thinking about but are you are really something you need to think about when it comes to your amazon business so really really appreciate that i learned a lot today hopefully uh, everybody listening and watching uh, feels the same way so thanks again rich really 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 appreciate it yeah no my pleasure and i'm happy to uh to help um, um and whenever any of these opportunities come up so um and I, I would just put one last pitch out there to the audience anyone else who has a podcast a webinar or a stage, I'm passionate about getting this information out to, to Amazon sellers. So by all means, me, by all means, reach out to me with those opportunities. Perfect, Rich. Thank you again. And uh, guys, as usual, um, I, I know I mentioned it last week, but uh, we're we're still kicking some butt on the uh, on the uh, podcast charts. Uh, we're doing really well. Uh, you know, beating some of the really established podcasts that have been out for years and years and years. Um, you know, Rich was talking about checking his book. Uh, that's kind of my new obsession is checking the, uh, the podcast chart. So we really, really appreciate you guys uh, tuning in. Um, and if you can uh, mash on that subscribe button and uh, if you don't mind leaving a review and a rating, we really appreciate it. And also, uh, you know, pass this on to your friends uh, if you think they can get some value out of it. So thanks again, guys, and everybody who joins us live as usual. We really, really appreciate it. And you guys are going to get to stick around for the, the bonus content after we stop the recording here. And uh, we'll see you next time, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rich. Bye, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at SellerRoundTable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, SellerSEO.com and AmazingAtHome.com.